Good morning. This is probably a good time for some dad jokes on Father's Day, but the bulletin's already taken care of that, so I'll spare you some of those. I say there's nothing like a good joke, and I read that, and those are nothing like good jokes. Some of you will get that later, and you have a little laugh over lunch. You remember you know what he said when he got up there? That's funny. All right, take your Bible to 2 Timothy. While you're going to 2 Timothy, let me read you a passage out of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2.23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Uh, I say that because there seems to be a lot of confusion going around on some of the definitions of the words of what is a man, what is a woman, what is a family, husband and a wife. And God lays it out very plainly. In fact, that verse there is the first time the word father occurs in the Bible. And so if you're having any confusion on that, my number one recommendation is pick up a Bible and start reading it at the beginning. And you won't have to get very far. You'll probably still be on your first cup of coffee and God will sort out the whole thing about what a man is, what a woman is, what a husband and a wife are, what a father and a mother are, and what a family is. I mean, you'll get that. You could do that on break and have the whole thing figured out and not have to worry about what all the, the media is telling us. Just a little tidbit there, but it's Father's Day. I thought, you know, I'd, I'd give you a little help if you needed it on that. Second uh, Timothy is where I had you turn. Let's read it for a few verses there in chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, thank you for all that's happened already in this service this morning, and I pray that it's pleasing unto thee. And I ask that you'd be with us for these next few moments as we look into your word. Please speak to each of our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Apostle Paul is writing to a young Timothy, who's his uh, uh, son in the faith, if you will. He even calls him there that his beloved son. And if Paul is writing from prison uh, for a second time. <laughs> Paul's what we might call a repeat offender. Uh, the first time he went to prison, though, he was kind of on house arrest, and they eventually l- allowed him to go because they s- considered Christianity sort of just like Judea- Judaism, and it had some protection under the law. But now things have gotten a little dicier, and a man by Nero is uh, in charge, and he's blaming Christians for a lot of stuff. It's kind of an interesting pattern, actually, when you think about it in history, uh, Hitler tried something like that, burning down his own government building and blaming it on a communist. And now we have things happening. I'll let you start to connect some of those dots that people are being, being blamed for that didn't cause any of the problem to start with. But the fact that they're against it makes them a, an easy scapegoat, sort of a, a whipping boy for those that have a problem with that. 
Now here, Paul talks to Timothy and he mentions his faith. He mentions the faith of his grandmother and of his mother, but his father is not mentioned. Now we know from Acts that his mother was a godly Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. We really don't, aren't told much else, but I don't think it's much of a stretch that if he had been a godly leader of a man, that Paul would have probably known him and mentioned him when he was talking to Timothy here. You know, it's a big thing to be fatherless. God places great emphasis on the family throughout Scripture and on the home. And I think Paul's writing for a very specific reason to this young man, Timothy. He's writing to him from prison. And he thinks he's at the end of his life, and he probably is. He wants, he calls Timothy out, he calls him his son, and he mentions how he takes note of him, saying, I, I can't wait to see you. You're in my prayers night and day, and I'm, I'm mindful of the tears that you cry. Paul says, I care about you, Timothy. Now, it may be that Timothy was lacking a father figure growing up, I don't know. Thankfully, he had godly mother and a godly grandmother. Uh, my father left our home when I was three years old, and I'm very thankful for a grandfather who stepped in and uh, where a father was absent. There's many circumstances, and, and of course, God can work through those things. God calls himself in Psalm 68 a father to the fatherless. Why would he do that? Because being without a father is a big deal. A big deal. 92% of men incarcerated in prison in the United States are fathers. 85% of juveniles come from homes without fathers. 71% of high school dropouts don't have a dad in the home. You know, it's interesting. We've heard a lot about this lately. You know how many mass shootings there were in public schools prior to 1960? Zero. Zero. But we still had guns in the home. Of course, we also had a Bible in school. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. Maybe that's just correlation. But since then, we've had, I think, 14 or 15 now. I'm sure it's just a coincidence that we kicked God out of school in 1963, and we didn't have one shooting before that, and now it's practically a regular occurrence on the news. There's one, and you can always find some little bit of statistic or whatnot or a loophole if someone's looking for one, but when you look at these people who have done the school shootings, there is a common thread to anyone who has eyes to see it. They come from fatherless homes. Now, that's not the trigger, obviously, because not everyone who comes from a fatherless homes goes around shooting people. But the statistics pretty clear that all the ones that do go into schools and shoot masses of people came from fatherless homes. Having a father is a big deal. I would submit to you that apart from the Bible and Christianity, which is to say apart from the influence of God, there is no bigger influence in a person's life than their father. And that is not to diminish the role of a mother whatsoever, but God places great emphasis on the importance of a father. He calls himself our heavenly father. And when you look, you can, I worked in the prisons for a while, uh, inmates in general have very little love loss for fathers. Because most of them had fathers that didn't care about them or weren't there. Now, most of them like to get cards from mom, and they still love mom. But it's a big deal. God set something in the heart of a person that wants acceptance from their father. Even men who hate their fathers and are bitterness towards them, you still see them pursuing acceptance from dad. 
It's huge. So Paul lays out some things here to young Timothy. What is it that he wants him to know? Boy, you bring years of life are suddenly brought down to moments. And you take pen to paper and you have something you want to tell someone with the little time you have left. What are you going to say to them? What's important enough that you have to say with a couple sheets of paper you have left and the few moments you have left? I'd like to give you three things quickly this morning. And I think it's all over this book of 2 Timothy. I think Paul tells Timothy, number one, defend the faith. Defend the faith. He says in chapter 1 there in verse 13, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Paul says, Timothy, this is something important and it's been committed to you. Hold on to it. Defend the faith. Stand for truth. In chapter 2, he tells him to study to show himself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you're going to be good at this, Timothy... If you're going to be used of God, and if you're going to stand for the faith, you're going to have to be skillful in the word. In chapter 3, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. You know some things, Timothy. You've been assured of them. Continue in those things. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, of course, ultimately, yes, he learned them from God. But who did Timothy learn them from directly? From Paul. Paul didn't seem to mind saying, look, you remember who you learned these things from. And then in chapter four, and there's only four chapters in this little book. Of whom be thou where also, talking about this man, Alexander Coppersmith. Uh, he said that for he hath greatly withstood our words. This is a man he's mentioned back in first Timothy as well. As someone who was, Paul delivered over to Satan because he was leading believers into false teaching. Paul tells Timothy, you need to defend the faith. You need to be aware of men like this who would lead your brothers and sisters in Christ astray. And you need to stand for the truth. You need to stand for what is right. You know, sometimes we have this romanticized idea about the first century churches. Oh, if we could just go back to the churches like they were in the Bible. Really? Have you ever read the book of Corinthians? 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. You ever read the book of Galatians? You think they didn't have problems? I mean, the Lord established a church and Satan was all over it from square one. They were loaded with problems. Some of their problems you would, you would think would only exist in a movie or something today. You're like, wait, that, those churches had that kind of problems? Now, I don't mean to get self-righteous. I'm just saying they had problems. Divisions, heresies, struggles. Sounds like church today. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe this is a living book and it has examples right from the get-go to help us. And Paul is telling Timothy, this is what you're going to need and you're going to need to defend the faith. Now, I will say, Paul is writing from prison and I would totally respect that he's writing to young Timothy, but I would have included some of the people that Peter corresponded with when he was in prison because... You know what happened to Peter, right? I mean, he got out, so uh, it might have been worthwhile. He tells them, I think, secondly, to declare the gospel. 
declare the gospel. Chapter one, you're there in verse eight. Be now not, not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Verse 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and had brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How are you going to help people, Timothy? How are you going to give them something in this life? The gospel. That's how. It's the gospel, the gospel, the gospel through every chapter, through every chapter. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead, he says in the next chapter, according to my gospel. Again and again, chapter four, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. You're going to need to know some stuff, Timothy, if you're going to be able to help people and you need to carry this on. Paul's essentially writing to a young son and he's saying, look, I'm probably going to be dead pretty soon. I need you to carry on the mission. I need you to keep going. I need you, son, to stand in my place when God takes me out of here. How do you convince a young man to take up that challenge? Fathers. I'll give you three things really quickly. How do you build men that you can give a charge like that to? Number one, you build it on the reality of God, first and foremost. In the first 14 verses of chapter one, God, Paul refers to God 12 times by name, by his title. There, there's no mincing words about what is the foundation of this understanding What does Timothy need to know and what do all of us need to know is that God is the reality. That's the underpinning, the foundation of everything. It's not something we add on to our lives, not something we just pick up on Sunday at church. Literally day in and day out, every day, every moment of every day. Doesn't mean you're reading your Bible or singing a hymn every minute, but it means God is the foundation in everything you do. And you talk about it as if that's the reality because it is. What are you going to write? What are you going to tell them? Not only do you need to make God the reality and the foundation, but you need to live the example. Chapter one, verse 13, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Chapter two, the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Paul said, there's plenty of witnesses to the example I've lived before you, Timothy. You've heard them. Those same things commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This is how we perpetuate this. We build it on God and we set an example. The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, he says. It's again in chapter three. It's there again in chapter four. Live the example. The old saying is more is caught than taught. Does have some truth to it. Kids will pick out hypocrisy like that. And you think you're good at it. Little eyes are watching like all the time. And they'll pick it out. They'll pick it out. And then it makes it more difficult to believe the things that you've so diligently taught. And the third thing I think is that we need to help them understand the the doctrine of shared suffering in this life. The third thing that repeats throughout every chapter of this book. Chapter one, again, verse eight, 
Be now thou therefore not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. This is perhaps besides some of the other obvious things, the thing I hate the most about the prosperity gospel. This idea that, well, all your problems are just related because you're not you need to get closer to God and and God will just take all that away. Well, it didn't work for the Apostle Paul. He doesn't teach anything like that. You don't hear him teaching about any prosperity gospel. Can God prosper a person? Of course. But he says to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. He's telling Timothy, mark that down, know it. Verse 12 of chapter 1, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. There's no hint in here of Paul, despite his circumstances and with everything he has to tell Timothy, he doesn't waste any time or any ink whining or complaining or giving any excuses or prepping Timothy to to point the finger at anyone else. None of it. It's all directed at, Timothy, this is the life I've lived. This is what I believe and I've taught you. This is the example I've set before you as best I can. Now, I'm about to be taken out of this life. You need to pick up the mantle and continue in these same things. Know what you believe. Be an example to others and understand that there's a shared suffering that takes place that you're a part of in the work of the gospel. Chapter 2 and verse 3, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 and verse 9, wherefore I suffer, suffer trouble, he says. Chapter 3, persecutions and afflictions, which came upon me at Iconium, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord deliver me. Chapter 4, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. (laughs) Is it any wonder that Paul had to encourage Timothy? In 2 Timothy, uh, in chapter 1 there in verse 7, he says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, (laughs) but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Yeah, because if you had to hear all this from someone like the Apostle Paul, you might start going out of your mind if you thought that's what was coming. 1 Peter 4, 13 says, But rejoice in so much as ye are the partakers of Christ's suffering. We're not following a leader that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, the Bible says. No one knows what it means to suffer like our Savior. And while we are not called to suffer as he did, we are called to suffer in him and with him and for him. And Paul is recounting that to Timothy. Romans 8, 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Eight. Having a father. God is the father to the fatherless. He goes on in that same passage there in Romans, and he says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. This, this is a very real letter. I don't just mean real because obviously it's all the word of God. But I mean, Paul is dealing heads up, straight on, waist high across the plate, whatever analogy you want to use with young Timothy. And he's telling him it's time to be a man, Timothy. You may not have had a father in this life. I've tried to be a father to you. And most importantly, you have a heavenly father. 
And he wants you to defend this faith that was delivered to his people. And he wants you to proclaim the gospel that he gave to us. And he wants you to be an example to other people. Teach others as well that they can carry on in this work. That's really my charge to all of us today. Fathers, if you're here, what kind of a job are we doing? We're obviously not going to be here forever. And if the Lord tarries, we're going to need people to step up in our place. Are we doing the things we need to do to allow that to happen? Maybe you're here and you grew up without a father. God wants to fill that role for you. And if you're here and whether you had a human uh, father at home or nurturing you when you're young or not. God is a heavenly father. The Bible tells us that apart from him, we're of our father, the devil. Now, God's your creator either way. But he's only your father if you've been born again by his spirit. And it's only his children that go to be with him in heaven when they die pray you think on these things this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together today. I thank you for each one that's here and Lord, for their kind attention to your words, Lord. I pray that you'd speak to each heart, that you would work in each life as you see fit. We thank you. Thank you for the scriptures. I love you. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.